Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn. And if you're new to the show, we are in a season of unpacking American education. Be sure to scroll back on my podcast for some tips on breaking free from the system, getting started on the parent-directed journey, some interviews with new and lifelong homeschoolers, and a whole lot of research that I hope will equip and inspire you for the road ahead. We've been talking about the 10 toxic traits of the public school environment, and we see these fruits evidenced in the generational beliefs and behaviors of our youngest students. The seeds that have been planted in the public school classroom are now sprouting their tragic fruit across the landscape of an entire generation. Last week, we talked about how and why homeschooling is hands down the most effective way to raise up disciples and why the government sees it as a threat for that very reason. As part of the rescue mission, we have to help parents understand their vital role in the training up of the next generation. As leaders of our families, we're called to be watchmen. We're called to be keen observers who watch the streets from the tower wall, scanning the horizon for intruders, whether natural or spiritual, in our children's lives. We have to keep an ear to the ground, a finger on the pulse of our cities, our homes, watching and warning those who depend on our courageous vision. And there's been an intruder looming on the horizon for decades, slowly inching his way toward the doors of our homes toward the hearts of our children. Now, watchmen have called out here and there throughout the years, visionaries, but for the most part, parents have done one of two things. They've either looked the other way, hoping that ignoring the problem would make it go away, or they've stomped their feet angrily at the enemy, trying to use carnal tactics to overcome a spiritual battle. The force of darkness that's been seeping in for decades is like a dark flood spreading across the classroom floor, gradually gaining depth and mass and literally suffocating the light and life out of the next generation. Listen to this quote. The American school system is sick. Its methods are based on fear, coercion, and rote memory testing. What's more, the subject matter it teaches becomes almost obsolete as it is taught. The knowledge explosion demands that students learn how to use their minds and talents while the schools are strenuously engaged in teaching them how to stifle their intelligence and creativity. That the nature and purpose of education must be changed is clear. The unanswered question is how. Though that quote from Neil Postman sounds like it could have been part of a headline story in an alternative education magazine last week, guess what? It was written in 1969. Why does it seem eerily contemporary? Because nothing has changed in contemporary schooling in the 50 years since Postman first addressed the educational crisis in 1969. Nothing. Dr. Postman, if you were alive today, I believe you would see that unanswered question you mentioned unveiled before your eyes as millions of us do now today. The answer is an education revolution called homeschooling. Proverbs 4 details a father's careful instruction to his son, teaching him insights and precepts, the foundations of practical wisdom. 
When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, verse 3 says, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. This timing is vital. Fathers, teach your children while they are still, quote, tender, while they're moldable, while they still care. As a professor for 20 years, I've seen so many students cross the threshold of tragic disinterest in their father's instruction because their dads were focused on some other worldly gain when their children were young. Pour into them while their hearts are open, dads. You set the course. You steer the ship. Dads determine destiny. By your design, you will thrust upon the world a child who is a bully, a brat, or a blessing. So choose well. Why is homeschooling so effective as an educational methodology? Well, of course, we've been unpacking that for weeks, so scroll back for many more details. But one of the key elements we talked about is that the government has no jurisdictional authority to operate a school for Christians. We talked about that when we read Kevin Novak's book, Abolition. Scroll back some episodes for reviews of his insightful works, as well as the works by John Taylor Gatto, of course, dumbing the book, uh, book dumbing us down. Second, the local church is the agent of social change, and parents are the activators. If parents and the local church work together for the sake of the next generation, we will redeem Gen Zs and Alphas. But a price has to be paid, and many parents have been unaware or unwilling to take that step. There's been a great exchange that's taken place for the hearts and souls of the current generation. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Scholars note that Palestine has three sources of water. Fresh running water, also called living water, well or cistern water, and runoff water. The last is the least clean of the waters. It's often filled with silt and mosquitoes. And the nation in this verse was being chastised for trading the best water for a broken cistern. This covenant infidelity that the Bible pictures talks about is pictured here as this response that's ungrateful, unnatural, and foolish. And if we jump back a few verses, we see the clear trail of how this happened. We see that the nation was in a state of apostasy. The priests didn't see God. The experts of the law didn't know God. The shepherds transgressed against God, and the prophets were driven by the voice and desires of the enemy. In other words, the nation's godly leadership had all fallen away. We're in a similar situation today, right? And we are all leading someone today, a family, a friend, a department, an organization, a movement. We can encourage those in our realm of influence not to exchange the living water of God's presence for the stale, infested, broken substitute of the world's cistern, like what we're seeing coming out of public education. You know, American education is such a case study in irony. I mean, we pull funding and cultural support away from Christian institutions, and we pour it instead into abortion providers, morally deficient schools, bastions of secular humanism, and we wonder, We wonder why one in five students is cutting or burning themselves on purpose. We wonder why the leading cause of death for Black and Hispanic youth in America is homicide. We wonder why our country has one of the highest rates of abortions in the developed world. We wonder why our 15 to 24-year-olds are not only highly anxious, but highly over-sexualized and depressed. We wonder why Christianity now seems so irrelevant to the most populous state in the country that government pushes for its full eradication. The dissection of moral absolutes from the public sphere has caused complete 
and utter anarchy throughout the system because we've removed the discussion of right and wrong, even of beneficial and non-beneficial from the public conversation. Our young people have no moral compass to guide their decision-making process. Now, do people have the right to choose for themselves life or death, blessing or curse? Absolutely. We were created with a free will. And we also have a nifty little clause called the First Amendment that should, in theory, protect our freedom to talk with hurting and confused people about their life decisions so that they can make fully educated choices. As grown-ups in a democratic nation, we should be able to express, without the threat of physical harm, the psychological, emotional, and physiological dangers of living outside the protective boundaries that are inherent to the Christian worldview. If we truly value freedom of speech, wouldn't we allow all voices into the marketplace and then actually give people the freedom to make an educated decision based on all the facts? Isn't that freedom of speech and thought we should expect in America? But no, instead, our financial systems fund morally averse programming while punishing Christian institutions that teach abstinence, value, human dignity, personal worth, the foundational personal values that can actually protect against things like rampant promiscuity and violence in the first place. Again, it's a case study on irony. Parents, when you send your kids to public schools, or even schools where God has been compartmentalized into a little box. He's a Jesus bumper sticker on the front of a secular textbook. You know, for every kid in the California public school system, the state spends $12,728 per student, which is 2.99% of taxpayers' income, a total of $80 billion a year in California alone for those students to be in a, quote, free educational environment. You get what you pay for, right? But when you free your child from the confines of public school, you push against that idol, you topple that idol, that false god of money that drives much of the public sector's agenda. A public school exit is a loss for government indoctrination centers and a win for your children. I always find it interesting to make comparisons to other parts of the world and how they've wrestled with the encroaching pluralism that's spread like a flood, like a plague across the globe. Now, you might not expect a liberal socialist country like the Netherlands to serve as a glowing beacon of religious freedom, but we have some important lessons I think we can learn from a similar battle the Dutch people faced. When national education was introduced in the Netherlands in 1800, citizens were offered a standard secular curriculum, much like what we see in America's public schools. But in 1848, the religious community protested the lack of religious compulsory education in the state system. These religious groups then fought for their right to have fair representation on the scholastic home front. After a long debate, the Dutch government decided that the best way to fairly represent all of its citizens would be to fund all education equally, religious or secular. The program was formalized in 1917 and continues to this day. Now, can you imagine a country where dissident voices are permitted to have their own opinions? What? Can you imagine a state where differences in thought actually foster civil discourse and personal growth in the, per in the, in the public square? Can you imagine a classroom where you could become, you could be objective, you could be an informed citizen by reading media sources that fairly and accurately represented both sides of a public debate? Can you imagine a country where you wouldn't be called a hater simply because your views are different from someone else's? <laughs> if we don't begin to address these issues as individuals, as a nation, if we keep plugging our ears and hiding away in our safe spaces, we will never develop a coherent national narrative. We'll never be challenged to know why we believe what we believe. We'll 
not get better by ignoring our problems. We'll only become more embittered, more vengeful, more divided. Let me be clear. The foundation that has been established, built up, erected, built brick by brick every day is when students have spent all of their time in the classroom environment, their spiritual senses have been numbed, their minds have been dumbed down, their opinions and their faith have been crushed, mocked, ignored, and twisted. In his Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln declared that America is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Today, we're witnessing a sobering evolution of a government that is of the government, by the government, and for the government. How does this uncircumcised Philistine of a government representative have the right to decide what the rest of us can and can't believe? When did politicians, lobbyists, and entertainers gain so much power that they can rewrite ideologies that have been part of our nation's identity for hundreds of years? As George Yancey said in his book, the real discrimination in education is the lack of faith representation. Secular colleges are now and have been overtly discriminating against Christians for over four decades. At this point, hopefully, we're all aware of the overt, ongoing attempt to silence, disempower, marginalize Christians in every sphere, starting with education. Collectively, as Americans, we've allowed the foundation of the faithless, fear-mongering system to be poured in a slow-curing cement. We buried our heads in the sand in 1965 when the values clarification movement swept through our nation's public school systems, outlawing discussions on right and wrong, and effectively reducing the classroom to chambers of moral relativism. We crossed our fingers and hoped for the best when the Bible was booted out of the school system. We stood by limply when law after law undermined parental authority, increasing the power of the state. And let's face it, many Christian families, instead of supporting K-to-college Christian education, continue to send their kids and their dollars to the very institutions that berate, undermine, and oppress the Christian faith. As C.S. Lewis put it, we castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Here's how I think we got to this point. It will be no surprise if you've heard my show before. The 56 plus million K to 12 students and 14 million college students sitting in public, i.e. government schools right now are being indoctrinated every day. They're not allowed to pray, to talk about God, to share Bible verses, to disciple others. In some cases, they aren't even allowed to have a Christian group on campus after school unless, listen to this, the club is directed by a non-Christian leader. You cannot make this stuff up. Compartmentalizing our faith has become a way of life, acceptable, normal. An entire generation, even two generations, have been desensitized to the law outlawing the Great Commission. We talked over the last couple of weeks about snowflakes and how this ongoing religious discrimination has fostered a culture of indignation that bristles or melts with any opinion different from its own. Anyone who dares to speak a divergent view is quickly ushered off campus, while the victims of this dangerous divergent thought exposure are ushered into safe spaces to color blow bubbles and watch videos of frolicking puppies until their minds return to an appropriate state of numbness. As Christians, it's the element of free speech, the freedom to speak in grace and truth that we must protect. Without it, we can't instruct, train up, speak up, and certainly we can't fulfill the Great Commission. When the rulers of the day commanded Peter and John to stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus in Acts 4.18, what did they say? Judge for yourself what's right in God's eyes to follow God or government. If we really want to preserve freedom of speech, freedom of religion, if we want to engage in civil discourse, if 
We're willing to stop hiding in our safe spaces to block out the noise of dissidence and its cousin, the voice of reason, then action is needed. We have to speak up against unreasonable and unconstitutional demands. We have to we have to insist that governments release their citizens from Huxleyan thought control. As Americans, we can think and decide for ourselves. Thank you very much. It's time to restore our country to its rightful representation of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, we've talked before about this generational pendulum swing, how each successive generation responds in sometimes overly dramatic fashion to the needs and failures of the previous generation, right? Like builders hoarding things because their parents went through the Great Depression and lost everything, or Gen Zs creating work-life balance. You're welcome. Because boomer parents were always working and they were determined to provide materially for their families. These swings are a natural part of the growth and development of individuals, individuals, of families, of nations. And there's a unique dichotomy today with some men feeling like they need to be home more, some feeling like they need to model the world of work. I'm very curious what's going to happen in the next couple of decades. When we look at models of the past, we saw a natural integration of children into the adult world of work. Remember, we talked about Yuri Bronfenbrenner, Lev Vygotsky, the scaffolding approach and how absent this is in most modern homes. A great homeschool family I respect is training up their preteens to run the family business. The son goes on business calls with his dad and watches him, observes him, asks him questions. He's part of the adult world of work. This is mentorship. This is the motto we use at CVCU, getting our students around greatness where they can be sharpened by other people in their field, where they can watch and listen and learn from both our successes and our mistakes. This used to be a natural part of the discipleship or apprenticeship component of child rearing. If you're new to homeschooling, by the way, this is actually the written model of what IEW, Institute for Excellence in Writing, uses, that we learn to be great communicators by being exposed to great communicators. We learn to be good writers by being exposed to good writing. We learn to emulate excellent communication by reading the works of excellent communicators. It's a macrocosmic view of this mentor-driven model in one subject area, English. Check it out at IEW.com if you're not familiar with their work. But as the industrial era took over and started training children to be cogs in a machine, the education system focused on what we call one-size-fits-none education. We lost that individual edge and that connection to family business, family apprenticeship. Slowly, we lost opportunities for family discipleship. As I wrote in my book, The Multi-Generational Marketplace, the youngest working generations often crumble when they're corrected in the workplace. They melt. We talked about Hebrews 12 a few weeks ago, that God disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in, and how so few children today had been disciplined, and thus they lack self-government. Our children are arrows. What's propelling them forward? What's determining their trajectory? Our kids took an archery class at one of our early homeschool academies, and I was just looking at the picture of that, and they were taught to hold the bow steady and aim at the target. But many kids today are limping through life with bent bows and broken arrows because no one has trained them. No one has mentored them. No one has discipled them. The public school system has emasculated men, weaponized women, and created a generational rift that has pushed families even further apart. In his leadership address to Timothy, Paul provides a number of examples of self-government and intergenerational mentorship. He says that leaders are measured by their home life. Now, this is not a popular message, but with the extraordinary rate of lawlessness and anxiety in the youngest generations today, it 
has to be addressed. Husbands are to, quote, manage their children and households well. Many men have been taught that kids are just the wife's responsibility. Even Christians' ads have told me personally that they have never prayed with, read with, or trained up their children in the ways of God, what the Bible calls making disciples. Often, this is a generational pattern of disconnect in the family line that needs to be broken. Well, what if you didn't get this training as a child? Well, hashtag no excuses, no snowflakes. Paul makes provision for this in his letter as well. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, train yourself for godliness. As adults, even as young adults, training is our responsibility. Bootstraps up. Let's go. You know, the false esteem that's taught in the school system has undermined an authentic sense of self. It's segregated ages, robbing our culture of the intergenerational interdependence that was intended to provide both scaffolding and purpose at every age and stage. If you're a parent, make disciples, starting at home. If you're a young adult, start by leading yourself well. Train yourself. Reach out to someone in your circle who could mentor you and disciple you and pour out what you learned to someone younger than you. In this way, linking together families and generations, we will begin to break off the spirit of lawlessness and quote, constant friction that Paul talks about, and we'll experience peace and purpose and what he calls truly life. If you're new to the show or if you're homeschooling for the first time, you can hear reposts of my K-Praise radio show, Mindset Matters, on the Communication Architect podcast. Just scroll back for more episodes, interviews, and tips of the trade. And be sure to check out what we're accomplishing in and through our partnerships with parents and the local church right here in San Diego. Visit us at awakenacademysd.com and cvcu.us. That's Chula Vista Christian University. Be sure to check out our new homeschool support programs for high schoolers, as well as our new sports institute, both available at the cvcu.us website. You'll find some helpful tools, some tips, support, community, encouragement, all right here for you. And if you're a pastor in San Diego County, please DM me for help on getting your church active in the homeschool support realm. If we all work together as parents and teachers and local churches, we can absolutely shift the trajectory of the next generation. Again, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks again for joining me on today's show. I'll be back next week with more of our toxic trait analysis. Until then, keep fighting the good fight of faith. I'll see you soon. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode, or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.